A Childlike Spirit by Deborah Riebel, Ph.D. A chapter from the best-selling book, Inspiration for a Woman's Soul, Cultivating Joy. I waited anxiously for the bell to ring, feeling the knot in my stomach intensify. Queasy, I laid my head down on the beat-up wooden desk and let it hold me like an old friend. While the clock ticked the seconds away, the other children in my third-grade class squirmed in their seats in anticipation of recess. But I dreaded that awful, unstructured time when I was forced to wander the playground, lost and alone. While everyone else played jump rope and foursquare or huddled in giggling groups, I worried about what to make for dinner, whether to give my brothers a bath that night, and how to stop my mom from getting high. I had neither the time nor the energy for play. Constantly locked in survival mode, I took myself and life very seriously. As I lay across my desk with my head cradled in my arms, shame and disappointment filled me. I fought back tears, putting myself in the disassociated state of suspended animation that had become my saving grace. I could still hear the wall clock keeping time and the other kids all around me, but at the same time, I was outside myself and elsewhere, watching myself in this new life as if I were a stranger. When I was seven, my parents got divorced. Now I was at a new school and living with my mother and two younger brothers in a run-down tenement far from our former home. My mother's drug addiction and self-destructive behavior was spiraling out of control, and my brother's survival depended on me. The little girl was forced to step aside, put away her dolls and play ponies, and become the adult in the household. There were no more birthday parties, trips to the beach, or music lessons. My beloved upright piano had to be pawned for food money. On the weekends, we went to stay with our father. Every Sunday night, I begged him not to send us back to the apartment. And yet, responsibility weighed on me. My mother needed me. I was the one who got her out of bed in the morning, made her breakfast so she wouldn't shake or pass out, and helped get the questionable men she brought home out the door. And so, every Sunday, we went back. But despite my best efforts, I couldn't save my mom. I came home from school one day to find my four-year-old brother, Chuck, crying on the concrete steps outside our building. He was freezing and soaked from where he'd wet himself. Our door was locked and bolted from the inside. I had no choice but to run to our neighbor's apartment and call 911. My father arrived on the scene not long after the paramedics. With my nose pressed against the glass of his car window, I watched as my mother was wheeled to the ambulance on a stretcher and driven away. She had tried to commit suicide, and they were taking her to a psychiatric hospital. Shortly after that, my mother escaped the institution with a fellow patient while on a field trip, abandoning us for good. I never saw or heard from her again. We went to live with our father and soon found ourselves with a new stepmother and four step-siblings. For a while, I had hoped that life would return to normal, but it didn't. My stepmother was a paranoid schizophrenic and unable to care for us and so I remained the primary nurturer and caretaker for my brothers, feeding them, bathing them, and tucking them in at night. The freedom and carefree joy of my childhood never returned. 
I spent the next 20 years pretending my mother never existed. I suppressed any memories of her and any feelings that reminded me of her. I buried my anger, hurt, and sadness deep inside, preferring the limbo state of disassociation to the pain my true feelings caused. And then one day in 1983, everything changed. I carefully placed the plastic stick on the sink, set the timer, and waited. Nervous thoughts ricocheted through my mind. Had I followed the directions exactly? Had I set the timer correctly? Did I really want to know the result? Clutching my abdomen, I knelt beside the sink and prayed for a miracle. Please, God, I'm not ready to be pregnant. I don't know how to be a good mother. I need more time. Yet in my heart, I knew it was too late for prayers. The timer went off, startling me. I took a deep breath to quell the panic mounting within and picked up the plastic stick that would determine my future. The result window showed two blue lines. Why now, I cried. Why is this happening to me? Dizzy, I clutched the edge of the sink. The stick fell to the floor, and I followed, crumpling into a heap on the cold tile. The mere thought of bringing a child into this world unleashed a wave of unresolved grief that I couldn't suppress. I was terrified, terrified that I might repeat my mother's legacy, abandon my unborn child, or lose myself. The feelings of loss and desolation were so deep and so overwhelming that I thought I would rather die on that floor than face motherhood. I know now that up to that point, I had been avoiding my life. I was going through the motions, doing what I thought everyone needed me to do, watching the seconds tick by on the wall clock while I waited outside myself, for something to happen. But in that moment, faced with the awesome responsibility of becoming a mother, I emerged all at once, as if from a coma. If I was going to bring a life into the world, I had to resolve the pain that had prevented me from living. My pregnancy resuscitated me like a pair of electrical paddles. It brought me back to life, but it wasn't easy. In fact, it broke open every aspect of me that wasn't whole. At the time, I was in graduate school, studying to be a psychologist, and I found it almost impossible to admit that I was struggling with depression, anxiety, and even thoughts of suicide. I felt hollow, like my spirit had deserted my body. I wanted to run away and pretend I wasn't pregnant. Yet, at the same time, I didn't want to abandon my child like I had been abandoned. Finally, I mustered the courage to call a therapist. Making that appointment was the first step in a series of conscious choices on my path to healing and self-love. Revealing my pain in a safe space of acceptance allowed me to begin to heal my unresolved past and open to the possibility that I could become a good mother. Over the next year, I slowly emerged from a cocoon of experiential death, and when I did, I realized that my childlike spirit had never really disappeared. Being a new mother opened my heart in ways I could have never imagined. I immersed myself in my son's presence, and the more I played with him, the more I experienced my spirit at play. My daughter, born seven years later, did even more to unlock the joy that lived in my heart because she infused her daily life with it. A bundle of pure energy, she fluttered from one moment to the next with a passion that bubbled up and overflowed into a sea of possibilities. 
Come on, Mommy, she'd say. Let's run in joy. My children reminded me that I, too, knew joy as a child, splashing in puddles after a warm rain or building fairy altars in the backyard. They reintroduced me to the wonders of stargazing, the timelessness of summer days, and the glee of chasing butterflies. Most of all, they showed me how to pay attention to the ordinary things which make life extraordinary. Through my children and my own intense healing process, I have learned that my soul journey is unique. I am not my mother, and I did not make her choices. Whereas I spent my younger years in worry, fear, and control, now I cultivate a playful philosophy of what's next and let's see. Life is a mysterious adventure, and I want to participate in it fully and fearlessly. Today I listen to and follow my heart, even when it's seen as irresponsible or immature. I dance spontaneously in the grocery store, let myself get drenched in the rain, and sing aloud while wearing headphones. Moreover, I invite others to join me while I walk barefoot on the grass or float on my back in the pool, because the best way to create a treasured moment is to share it with another heart. Years ago, I closed my heart to block the pain of my mother's abandonment and my father's unhealthy relationships with emotionally unstable women. But my children and my own healing journey taught me how to open my heart and trust again. Now I'm no longer looking through a window at my life. I'm right there in it, connecting to the infinite energy of the divine and living as an ambassador of love and joy. At a young age, Deborah assumed the role of caretaker for her younger brothers. Where in your life have you taken on responsibilities that were not ideal for your life, age, or situation? How did the experience change you? And what did you learn? Deborah's way of dealing with her childhood experiences was to close herself off from feeling. What in your life, past or present, are you avoiding? What would happen if you embraced it instead? What are some ways, small or large, that you can invite joy into your life right now? Consciously merging her practical tools as a psychologist with her intuitive and spiritual gifts, Deborah L. Rebel, Ph.D., empowers women to connect with their hearts and live authentically through her transformational soul-hearted living program and podcasts. A soul-inspiring writer, Deborah is the author of the award-winning Soul-Hearted Partnership, the ultimate experience of love, passion, and intimacy with four awards including the Eric Hoffer Award. She is also a contributing best-selling author to Inspiration for a Woman's Soul, Choosing Happiness, Cultivating Joy, and the Wisdom of Midlife Women Too. You're invited to visit DeborahRebel.com to claim Deborah's four-part Sacred Meditation Series.